Welcome to the Rabbitohs Top 4 Podcast. Proudly presented by What If, official travel and pathways partner of the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Here are your hosts, Mark Ellison, Shannon Donato and Jeremy Monaghan. Well, hello everyone and welcome to the Rabbitohs Top 4 Podcast. It's powered by Audio-Technica and proudly presented by What If. What If has you covered for accommodation, flights, car hire and more. So if you're looking for a holiday, travelling for business, you need to get to the next game or you're planning for when we finally get out of lockdown in the next couple of months, visit whatif.com slash Rabbitohs. What If, it's Aussie for travel. My name's Jeremy Monaghan. Firstly, I'd like to welcome our usual co-hosts in Mark Ellison and Shannon Donato. How are you today, gentlemen? Very good, Jez. Just uh, excited about the week ahead. It's going to be a massive week. Likewise, yeah. Either way, whoever won on the weekend out of Manly or Roosters, it was going to be playing the old foe. We don't have much love with uh, either of those clubs and It'll be nice to uh, knock Manly out of contention, that's for sure. Oh, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? What? Now, for the second week in a row, we've got a very special guest to join us here on the Top 4 podcast. And as we like to do, we like to give them a little bit of play on music as they come into the show. And I managed to find this little ditty on... uh, on YouTube from our special guest. He's one of the great media personalities in Australian TV, one of Australia's finest cricketers. Please welcome Rabbitohs tragic Mike Whitney. I found that little ditty on YouTube. A mate of mine was putting a tournament together up on the Gold Coast, the Sixers tournament. And um, I'd actually done a lot of after-dinner speaking for him. And he said, uh, we'd been, look, I've been gigging with a couple of different bands now for 15 years. And he said to me, any chance of writing a song and, and we'll put it up. So we wrote the song and recorded it and, and did the little video and stuff like that. But unfortunately, the six has never got up. Oh, <laughs> yeah, but it was a lot of fun. And I oh, was still gigging, um, gigging with Junior Pierce, uh, Guru Growth. We played together sometimes and... Uh, Guru's fantastic, great voice. Junior's got a lot better, really worked on his vocals and Junior never short of a word. So he's out there playing as well. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. We have a great time. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. Obviously, a, a very proud South Sydney Life member and it's our pleasure to have you on the show today. And there it is. Look at the cap. Look at the cap. Pointing to the heart for all those listening on the podcast. He, he was saying earlier, um, you were saying that there's Rabbitohs memorabilia always within arm's length. Somewhere. No matter what room I walk into at my place, uh, is there anything in the bathroom at the moment? There's a cricket ball in the bathroom. <laughs> there's always always something. Just grab and, yeah, always the Rabbitohs. And look, it's just been a... A fantastic season. So excited about what's coming up next weekend. The boys are just been in fantastic form and, you know, their shape, their, their, their defensive shape, particularly against Penrith. And they're attacking this year. I mean, you know, some of the boys are in career best form. So, yeah, looking forward to this weekend. And, yeah, those two sides, you're right, Shannon. If we have a, a, a distinct dislike, for two sides in this competition, it's the rest isn't manly. So it didn't matter. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Bring them on. 
Very good. Well, we might get into our, our first segment, as it always is each week, which is what is something that you've learnt this week? And we'll kick off with you, Shannon. I've learned just how much uh, support there is for the Rabbitohs, Jez. I'm uh, walking down, getting my hours exercise, which is a lot more than usual, uh, down at the beach <laughs> on the weekend. And everywhere, there's the Rabbitohs flags, as I've mentioned earlier. The council put the Rabbitohs flags up and down. Goodgie Bay Road and Arden Street, and they're all the way down Botany Road at the Bayside Council. And everywhere I walked, there were, there were people with um, Rabbitohs T-shirts or Rabbitohs caps. I did set every second person. It was very busy down there, but there was so much um, show of support and love for the Rabbitohs. So it just reminded me what I learned this week, or was reminded of this week, is just how much support uh, the Rabbitohs have out there. We might have to edit that because I think Botany Road's a bit further than 5Ks from Vaucluse, so... <laughs> you need some new material we all do we're 31 episodes in we all do i'm just gonna jump in there shannon you said you out for your hours exercise did you stay there for an hour or did it take you an hour to walk down there <laughs> and i was thinking of you when mike said you know no matter where he goes in his house there's always some Rabbitohs memorabilia, sort of the same at your house, but no matter where you go in your house, there's always some food within arm's length. <laughs> <laughs> LA, what have you learnt this week? Well, you know, I've learnt uh, what a great family we have at the Rabbitohs. We, uh, we tragically lost one of the, the great Rabbitohs that not a lot of people know about, but he, his name was Lionel Potter. Um, he came on as a trainer here, started in the 70s. He came on when Jack Gibson was coaching the club. And finished coaching in, in you know, the, the mid-90s or you know, 2000. I can't remember exactly when, but um, Lionel, just a magnificent person around the club and, and every player and every staff member that ever came across, you know, came in contact with him, just loved him mm. because he stood for what we stand about. He, he'd had a tough life, a tough, you know, tough upbringing, and he just showed all the signs of what the Rabbitohs are about. And he helped galvanise anyone that was involved in the Rabbitohs through a very, very long period of, you know, over three decades. Um, he passed away on Saturday and we have a WhatsApp chat group with all former past players, et cetera. Everyone's devastated by it. But, um, you know, we just, we're just so fortunate that we had, had so many years that Lionel was a part of our lives. Mm. And the fact that he, uh, you know, he's not mentioning any of the historical notes on our club apart from his position, but... Everyone that's been a part of the club knows what he was like and the true great person he was. He befriended everyone. Uh, no one was too high, no one was too low on the spectrum for, for Lionel Potter. Um, and that was a true mark of the man he was. Uh, and, you know, the boys are going to wear a, a black armband on, uh, on Friday night in respect of uh, the great contribution he made to our club. And what I have learned is how everyone's remembered in our club, how good they were. And this one was one of the best. I was reading some of the tributes on Facebook over the weekend, and the, the one that that struck home to me was David Boyle. And he was cause he was a, a country lad that came to the city to, to try his best with the Rabbitohs, and didn't he have a fantastic career? And he said he put a lot of it down to to coach Potter, as everyone was calling him, because he used to take the country boys and bring them under his wing and help them out and help them find somewhere to stay and make sure that they could cook their own meals and were looked after. And he really took that on his own. He wasn't asked to do it or anything like that, but he 
took it upon himself. And, of course, there's the famous story. He's, uh, his middle name was Henry, and everyone knew him as Henry, and he was described as the most, gent- most gentle man out there, but it was the most brutal of tactics, the Henry call that was named after him, and that was part of the genius of Dean Rampling calling Henry and everyone knowing exactly what it meant, the way to, to change momentum in a game. It's funny you say that, Jez. I think when it was one of the best days it was ever used was against Manly at the at the Krieger in 1984. We were behind 14-0 and the great uh, Dean Rampley called Henry and uh, the rest is history. Ah, yeah. About 10 minutes later, it was 14 all. And uh, none of them wanted to run the ball after that funny thing. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Mike, what's something you've learnt this week? Well, look, I, I can only echo what both Ello and Shannon just said. I was down at, at Maroubra on the weekend and, mate, there was a lot of South memorabilia and clothing around the joint. There was a lot of people down. It was, it was a beautiful weekend. Uh, and what Ello said about people like Lionel Potter, you know, I mean, again, didn't want anything. Didn't want to, just didn't want, just did it for the club. And, you know, Lionel's one of a long line of people that we could talk about past and in the future that just love this club. And I had this thought down the beach, looking at everybody walking around in Rabbitohs, given the position that we're in playing this game this weekend, thinking how lucky are we as a community to have the club? You know, there was a, a time there when I was involved back around the turn of the century where we were punted out and we weren't sure what was going to happen. We fought tooth and nail. It's a 20, just over 20 years now and the club's back and, the club's never been in better shape. I mean, financially, we're great. We've got huge supporter base, sponsors, really good players, really good up-and-coming young players as well. Very exciting group of young players coming. How lucky are we to live where we are, to be where we are in the hub of the universe and have one of the great sporting entities to support every winner in the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Very, very fortunate. Yeah, that was abs- my thought for the week. Absolutely. How lucky are we? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And my one goes along the lines of the early discussion. How good was it, was it to sit back on, on Friday night and just watch the Roosters and Manly go at each other? And it was the most relaxing game of football I've ever watched this season, <laughs> just watching those two go at it. So it was great entertainment. And I'm... Uh, I'm pleased that the Roosters lost and we get to take on one of our arch rivals in in Manly this week. So it should be uh, should be a great game. And we'll see animated Ello on the sidelines, tell them to get to the kicker and everything else. I'm, I'm excited. And it's only Monday. We're recording Monday morning. I'm excited for Friday. Jeremy, you know we don't attack the kickers. We made that quite clear last week. Can I ask you a question? Hello, what, what's it like down on the sideline there, mate? Being an ex-player as well, I mean, you know, you understood, you know, the excitement and the adrenaline, but, mate, you still got to get a bit of that leak in India, you know, just hanging around on the sideline, especially in the big games. Well, it does, it does, wit, and it probably no more than it did last Saturday night because... As, as a team and everyone up here at the Gold Coast, you know, there's 41 of us, staff included, and nobody gave us a chance, you know. Nobody gave us a chance except for, you know, the true believers. And even, to be fair, back home, if you hadn't seen the build-up, you'd be saying, geez, we're going to do it tough tonight. Yeah. All right, but the master coach got involved early in the week and the players just rallied. Um, and, you know, it was just was fantastic to to see and the biggest thing is you know when you're an underdog that's when you're at your best and this club is at our best we spoke about it last week 
And it just, yeah, the, the sideline was fantastic. Everyone was calm, but people just, there was, you know, exuding energy. The, the boys on the bench were singing out, come on, boys. And, you know, just a couple of calls that we had in the game that we that we kept going to. That, you know, we'd sing that out from the sideline. But the best thing coming from upstairs is not a lot of messages comes down from Wayne and JD and the and Benny Hornby. It, it's it's quite uh, sobering compared to what, what I've been used to in the past. But all we have to do is get the interchanges right. Occasionally a message comes out, but um, all the work had been done. I think Ello's frozen up, has he? <laughs> That's all right. I'm not paying his internet bill. <laughs> it was into full flight. I was going to say, Mike, you were you were just talking about you know what's it like down on the on the uh, sideline there and the emotion. We've got a friend of ours, Brock Schaefer. He's on the sideline there with Hello, and Hello must be a bit confusing sometimes between footy and cricket because when he when he when he looks over the field beside Brock's beside him, he's got two short legs. Um, <laughs> I reckon personally, if I was on the sideline, like I'd be exhausted after the game with, you know, back, you've got to go through the emotional ups and downs of the games and the players getting injured and we've got to put someone on and oh, they've scored, oh, we're back in. Mate, I'd be exhausted after that. I know just watching a day's cricket. Uh, particularly if it's a great game and down at Coogee Oval, I'm still the Prezzo and the boys are up and then they're fighting and then they're there. And I haven't played, I haven't bowled a ball and I get home and go, oh, I'm gone. You know, it's, <laughs> it's just the emotional Particularly, Particularly when you're really invested in it and, you know, where I'm invested in the Real McPurdish and Career Club and I'm invested in the Rabbitohs. And when you're invested in it, it's, oh, the heart's going and it's crazy. <laughs> It is. It was quite warm up there the other night too. And after the game, you know, like I was just sweating, like really sweating because you know, there's a bit of movement going on. But there's all, always a great reward when you get into the dressing room with that lovely yeah. can of Young Henry's when you open <laughs> after, after you sing the team song. There's, no, there's nothing better than singing the Rabbitohs team song. Yeah, and then we sing then we sing the young Henry song. I feel like a young Henry. I feel like young Henry. Feel like a young Henry's or two. Sounds like you might have had a couple of young Henry's for breakfast, Shannon. Saving them for Friday night, Jess. Oh, very good. Very good. Well, we might get into our, our top four topic today, which of course is the top four of Mike Whitney. We're gonna attack this in two parts. And first of all, I want to talk about um, the first thing which we always ask our, our guests is the top four things that our members may not know about you. Well, when you mentioned this the other day, I had to have a long think about it. And here's four things that I've written down that people probably don't know about me. When I was a youngster, I was a pretty good athlete. So I went down to Little Athletics and I became the New South Wales Public Schools and Little Athletics long jump and triple jump champion. And so that was a state-based champion. I've done little athletics for a while, but as, as you sort of get a bit older, you separate out the things that you want to do. And for me, it was long jump and triple jump. Mm. And I remember in, uh, in uh, 61, 71, the Australian um, little athletics championship was down at Hensley Athletics Field. And that was my last year in little athletics. After that, you went senior after 12. 
and I was jumping against a bloke called Gary Honey from Western Australia. And I was favoured in the triple jump and he was favoured in the long jump. I actually won the long jump and beat him and he won the triple jump and beat him, beat me. He went on to win two, two Commonwealth golds and an Olympic silver in the long jump. Wow. And I always thought, man, I flogged him that day. Wonder if I had a hung on, you know, could I have done something with that? So that was great. Um, I'm an aircraft maintenance engineer by study and apprenticeship. I did an apprenticeship at Qantas as a ground engineer and stayed there for five years, completed my apprenticeship and was studying to become a licensed engineer. But the lure of cricket got too much and I wanted to go to England and play. So I left Qantas. My mother wasn't happy about that, let me tell you. <laughs> years later, she said to me, like 15 years later when I retired, it was probably good that you left Qantas, but I wasn't happy about it back then. I went, yeah, I know. Um, in, a cricket, in cricket terms, people probably don't know this about me, I'm the first Australian test cricketer to be selected to play for Australia whilst playing in another country when Australia was touring that country. So in 1981, Australia was touring the Ashes. Lawson and Hogg were injured. I was playing league and county cricket over there and they pulled me out of obscurity. First time ever that happened. Amazing. Test cricket. During my first test, which I got pulled out of obscurity for, first Australian cricketer to get a pair on debut. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Not proud about that one. The other record... Right, that was like, sorry, that was like Shannon had his first pie. It wasn't one, it was two. <laughs> <laughs> The other record I hold in that game was I finally got the ball after Dennis Lilly and Terry Alderman opened the bowling and ran in and bowled one delivery and it rained and we didn't get back on the ground. The, the next time I bowled was like 57 minutes later. So the history says that that's the longest test debut over <laughs> in the history of test cricket. It went for an hour. My first over. It was excruciating. That was oh. unbelievable. Went for an hour excruciating. Sounds like one of LO's jokes, actually. <laughs> and the other thing, people, some people know this, but a lot of people don't. I, I often get asked, do I have children? I go, yep, I've got a boy and two girls. But what people don't know about it is that I have triplets. My, my children are triplets. Uh, so I am the only fast bowler ever in the history. I figured to get a hat trick with two balls. <laughs> <laughs> and they're now 27. They're not kids wow. anymore. Triplets. Adults. That's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. What a great start. Well, speaking <laughs> of family and, and that, that sort of stuff, tell us about growing up as a Rabbitohs fan and your family and where the influence came from around your sport. Yeah, I grew up in Matraville. If you jumped over my parents' back fence, you're in the car park of the Matraville RSL. So that gives people a bit of an idea where that was. Um, my father was uh, an East Lakes mascot boy and the Whitneys were, were quite a solid family in East Lakes and mascot and uh, relatives as well, the Devines and stuff like that. They all played rugby league for mascot. And my grandfather, old Tom Whitney, apparently was just making it There was, he said, I remember when I was a, a, a very young grandchild, probably six or seven, and I was the youngest of the grandkids. So there was my sister and another uh, female cousin, and then all boys, about half a dozen boys. And old Tom said one day, in this family, grandchildren in the family, there's two things you do. 
you barrack for the Rabbitohs and you vote Labor. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. There was no question mark about that. So growing up, of course, the influence was from my, from my dad. My mum was an old Paddington girl, so she was a closet rabbit, uh, closet uh, rooster supporter. But I think over the years we finally turned up. She still didn't mind the roosters, but she was a diehard rabbit supporter. And just growing up in Matraville, look, I played rugby league for Matto Tigers for a season. I then went out to La Perouse and got to play with the Ella Brothers and Lloydie Walker for 10 years. I mean, that was freakish watching them do stuff as 9, 10, 11, 12, 14-year-olds. I just thought it was normal. Mm. They were doing it every day, <laughs> flick past and kicking goals with no shoes and boots on and all this sort of stuff. And then at 16, they left and they went to play rugby at Matraville High with Jeff Mould, their, their coach there, and that sort of team filtered away. Nathan Gibbs was playing in that side at the time as well. And... Uh, I then had a season at Kensington and then I went and played four seasons at Mascot to finish off my footy career till the cricket got a bit more important. All of those clubs were part of the South Sydney Juniors. They still are. And if you played there, you just, you, it was, my home was the Rabbitohs. The clubs I was playing for, it was all Rabbitohs. Everybody just wanted to play through club and then have a chance as a 16, 17, 18-year-old to go and have a trial for the Rabbitohs. And in the winter, uh, in the summer, we, we played a bit of cricket and we went down Maroubra Beach and went surfing. And then that sort of flipped for me in my, my late teens and the cricket got more important and, and I got some opportunities down at Coogee Able to play grade and, and that sort of took off that way. But I never lost my love or desire for rugby league. I mean, it was just the biggest thing in our family. My dad started taking me and my sister out when I was six and she was eight to the um, SCG because in those days, in the late 60s, Souths were a very, very dominant team. We won in 67, 68, lost to the Tigers in 69, won in 70, 71. In 1968, I was nine, you know, in, in 1967, I was eight. It was a very impressionable time. And because Souths were one of the, the clubs at the top of the ladder during that time, the game of the round was always played at the SCG. So we'd go to the SCG and watch the Rabbitohs, and if they weren't playing there, you know, we'd go to Redford over and watch them. And I remember just going out there with Dad and my sister. Um, it was just a wonderful experience. I mean, you could pass 20 cents down from the back and pass a bag of peanuts up to the dude. No one would take the money or rip the peanuts off. There were blokes walking around selling fish and all sorts of things at the, the rugby league. And my dad, for some reason, would take it to the Paddo Hill and you'd sort of see the same people every week. And my old man knew the hot dog seller out the front. We'd get a free hot dog walking in and just the gates walking in, the old metal gates. So, look, wonderful memories from my childhood. And it just, you know, imprinted South Sydney. And I've, I've ridden the wave, whether that was good or bad, from a kid and there'll never be any difference. And when the triplets were born, let me tell you, <laughs> straight away, straight away, three more Rabbitoh supporters. So, yeah, even one of my daughters, Juliet, lives in Melbourne and uh, she wears a Rabbitohs gear down there. And she said, people look at her and ask her, what, what AFL club? Oh, no, that rugby league, that's right, that's right. Yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, I love it, mate. And, you know, to play, for me to play, I've always said this, I'd probably swap a couple of games of 
I played a dozen tests. I'd hand a couple of those back to, to play one game for South. Let me tell you, that's how much it means to me, and I love it. That's that's fantastic. What a, what a great uh, walk down memory lane that was. And and you mentioned your your cricket career then, and it, it started to kick off for you in your teenage years. But you went on to represent New South Wales and Australia in some amazing games. Yeah, well, look, I'd always loved my cricket. I mean, the rugby league was a bigger thing, and I got I got called the the secretary of the Ramwick Cricket Club, a fellow called Lyle Gardner had heard I'd been playing on the mats out at Pioneer Park and places like that locally and given it to a few people on the mats. And um, my mother got sick and tired of him ringing the house and said to me, you will go and play a game for these people. He, will, he won't ring the house anymore. Anyway, he rang one Saturday morning. I had the surfboard, not that one behind me, but I had a surfboard underneath my arm. And I was 10 minutes from leaving and uh, a guy had dropped out of the fourth grade game at Snake Park and they were looking for a another opening bowler. I said, I've got no long whites, got no spikes to turf. So my mother rang a mate of mine's mother, did Michael borrow his whites and they had some boots. And look, I took four for 16 that day and that changed the whole my whole life. That phone call that day from Lyle Gardner changed my life. So I played a couple of years in fourth grade and made my way up. And before I knew it, I was playing first grade and I was bowling pretty quick and I was pretty wild and woolly and giving it to a few people and a few people were because there was not really any left arm fast bowlers and there's a bit of a blind spot here if you're a right hand batsman and I'd actually collected a few blokes during the season and done a little bit of damage and these blokes were pretty good players found myself in the shield squad um, at the start of the 80-81 season made the first game and and that was it I was was pretty much in the shield side then for Till 1994 and I had a lot of injuries, a lot of knee operations, but when I was fit and ready to go, I, I played uh, 94 games, first-class games for New South Wales and when some of the blokes I played with were just amazing. The guys playing, the Test players went back and played a lot of Shield cricket then. The Test players and the Shield players went back and played a lot of grade cricket. So the level in first grade and, and Shield cricket was, I'm not saying it was better than what it is today or worse than what it is today, was really competitive and then to play for your country I mean I think about it now and it seems more surreal the further I've gotten away from actually playing and you start I don't know whether whether you blokes do this too you start thinking about the guys you played with the, the guys you played against the grounds you played on the moments that you had or other moments in that game where Mark War might have t- taken an unbelievable catch that had gone past him and he threw his hand back and it was a real big moment in the game. And I'm starting to think more about it now, the older that I've got, and go, wow, did all that really happen? And did I play test cricket in the West Indies and in Sri Lanka and two of those places? And so it seems more amazing to me. But, look, I've got this feeling now of just so much gratitude and, and just feeling grateful about the whole experience and and the person that that probably made me at the end of the day and you become a, you know, during your journey and, and Ellen and Chanel Tease, you become a senior player in the team and then, you, you know, your job is to look after the young blokes like those blokes looked after you and they're gone now and then you play a few test matches, you, be, you know, you're the bloke they're looking at to take the wicket and the responsibility becomes more. And I think that all that shapes you, you know, and the 30 years after I've retired, it's, it's shaped my life big time and I'm, 
Very grateful for that and very grateful for the game of cricket. Love my rugby league. So lucky that they never crossed because I got my winner and I got my summer. (laughs) (laughs) Just a question for you, Whit. I was a bit similar to you. I played cricket and league coming through and went down the the league path. You just spoke about, you know, what it felt like, you know, to be on the bench the other night and playing the games. And I, I'm like you, I look at them out there playing on the bench now and say, how, how did I ever do that? And to be fair, I think it's a lot harder these days with the size and different hardness, of course. But I look back and I remember you uh, at the SCG, you know, under lights in those one day as and you get the ball at the start of the, you know, you come into the twilight period and you'd have the ball for the first ball, there'd be 50,000 fans packed in the SCG and you were back at the the hometown boy at the back of his run-up. Can you tell us what that felt like? Uh, Again, LA, you you don't realise at the time, but later on after you retire, you go, how do you replicate moments like that in your life? You're at the SCG, that's your home ground, you're playing for Australia, AB knows, Alan Border knows, mate, give him the new ball. The crowd's going to be right with him. And they started the SCG because they were the old metal sort of uh, advertising signs around the picket fence. And people started going, Whitney, Whitney, on the metal signs. Well, I'm about to bowl the first ball. The whole crowd's jumped on board. There's... As you said, I'll have 40, 45, 50,000 people at the SCG doing that. I've got family sitting, my mum's over there in the, in the lady stand with my sister and family and that watching. And I'll tell you what you have to do. You have to go, whoa, just come back, brother. Just come back a notch or two right here. Absorb it all. You've got a lot of support, but you're bowling to Desi Haynes. <laughs> and if you pitch it outside that box first ball, he's going to get your way and you don't want to go for a boundary first ball. But so the adrenaline, it was like you had electricity coming out of the end of your fingers, mate. And you just had to go, oh, hang on. And amazingly enough, at that stage of my career, I've been playing professional cricket for over 10 years then. We've got this sort of on and off switch as cricketers and you, you're sort of walking and you set your field and you can hear it all and you're talking to AB and just moving two arms lengths there. That's it. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. And then he runs back into the slips and you get to the end of your mark, showing the ball and you go, right. And something just, it's not there anymore. You're just so, so finely focused and you have to be that I've got this one delivery to bowl and I need to get this one away to start the whole innings and I don't want it to go for six and I don't want it to go for four and I don't want it to go for two. If they sneak and snudge a single, that's acceptable, but a dot ball, so you run in and you bowl it and it's a dot ball and the whole crowd just goes... Mate, it's really hard to hang on sometimes. But again, it was like I heard Mo Matthews say that a couple of times. It's like having electricity coming out the end of your fingers. And it is, and it is, and it's hard not to just dump too much adrenaline into the bucket and just run in mad and you know, because they're gonna get you. So fantastic, mate. How do you ever replicate moments like that, LA? You just can't. So special. 
I mean, I, obviously, days I was in the crowd there watching it, mate, and it was just, yeah, knowing you as well, it was a great feeling for us watching it too. Not sucking up to you, mate, but it was just, yeah, you were the hometown boy, the Aussie, the left armour, which was different. Yeah. I, I used to hear the crowds doing it, mate. It, it was yeah. awesome. Can I ask one more question? And I've heard you talk a lot of times. I know you're a roomie for many years with the great Merv Hughes. <laughs> okay. Can you give us your best Merv Hughes story? Oh. <laughs> I reckon the answer's probably three no. Hours of, <laughs> three hours of Merv Hughes easily. Uh, look, Merv was the one, you know, he was just, Look, he, he had a couple of nicknames. One was Fruit Fly, Australia's Biggest Pest. I mean, he would just, one year, for some reason, he just stuck his little finger in David Boone's ear for no reason. We'd be in Blazer and at the airport, he'd just put his finger in his ear. 500 times in the season. Bernie ended up going, why are you doing that? Oh, he laughed. But if you roomed with Merv, you got the full flavour. So I first roomed with him in the Caribbean. It was the longest stay. It was like two and a half weeks in Trinidad and Tobago. Whoever got Merv, this was like two and a half weeks with the big fella. Because usually it was only a week or a couple of days here, so they draw in the straws out. <laughs> Merv and Wit. Oh, my shoulders went down straight away. Go up into the room. He takes control straight away of the room. If there's a double bed, well, in that room, there was a double bed and a camp bed sort of thing, like one on the floor. He's naked on the double bed straight away, rubbing the body over it. So you don't want the double bed. And I'm on the camp sort of bed thing on the floor. Eats more than any human you've ever met in your life. Um, burping, farting, just everything, everything you could imagine. And when he wants to eat, he'll coerce you into saying you want a milkshake or a toasted sandwich. So then he just goes open slather on the whole menu. And if they say anything to him, he says, oh, well, we don't want a milkshake and a toasted bloody sandwich. So I thought it was all right if I had something to eat. But, oh, mate, just hilarious, always doing something. <laughs> I've got another three hours on him. <laughs> Um, he ordered one day in Trinidad and Tobago, he asked me if I wanted something to eat. I went, okay, I'll have, I'll have a milkshake and a toast of salmon. The, the Bay Marie with the two bonfires going underneath it came up to the door. I'm looking at the bloke and, he, and the bloke went, is Mr. Hoodges here? I said, it's Hughes. <laughs> it, was, it was hilarious, mate. And Merv, Ate all of that before we went down for the team dinner and had the big food at, at dinner time. So, yeah, all those stories about him were true. If we won any game, uh, the, we had a sponsorship with Corona at the time, which which was a good bit. But Merv would get two, knock the top off him, and go da na 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 my Corona, and <laughs> scalded both of them in like. Five seconds. So, yeah, there was always something going, but you didn't want to be too close to him after dinner because the stomach really got going then. And oh, oh, oh. so everybody sort of. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Now, you were talking before about adrenaline kicking in at, at 
uh, at the SCG or wherever you were playing in the game. And, of course, you were selected as Australia on the basis of your fast bowling. But I'm sure Mr Richard Hadley, the, the fast New Zealander, would have been one of your rivals in the day. And when I was doing some research for this, I found this bit of audio that is something that's an enduring memory of your career as a cricketer for Australia. 29 balls. Michael Whitney and Craig McDermott have survived as a partnership. And they make it 30. One to come from Richard Hadley. He's talking to himself. You can bet your life that Michael Whitney's talking to himself. Good luck, Whit. <laughs> Good luck, Whit. Oh, no, we've lost the audio and I survived. <laughs> now, I want to know, what were you talking to yourself about at that very moment facing Richard Hadley? I mean, that was, again, such a moment. Alan Border hadn't won a, a, a test series as a captain. He'd taken the side over in, like, 85 um, after Kim had... Kim had, you know, the tearful resignation of, of Kim Hughes, which was just... Such a sad moment. And he hadn't won a series. He actually was going to turf the job, AB. He's just about had it. So we were up 1-0. They had the Trans-Tasman Cup. They'd won the series before. We're up 1-0. And it gets to the Melbourne Test, the last test, the Boxing Day Test, three-test series. And I get a phone call on Christmas Day at my mum's place at Matchville. The family's around there for Christmas Day. I just happened to pick the phone up. Hello, Whit, Bob Simpson. I said, hey, Bobby, how you doing? He said, where are you? I went, my mum's. You've just called that number, haven't you? <laughs> 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 he said, uh, there's a ticket for you at the airport. A couple of the fast bowlers have gone down. Merv's under a cloud. Bruce Reed's under a cloud. Uh, we need you to fly down to Melbourne this afternoon. Boxing day test. Home to Chloe. I was living at Chloe Valley. Home to Chloe. Packed my kit out the airport. Next morning, we're playing. And another guy made his debut. Tony Dotter made, made his test debut in that game. It wasn't my debut. It was my third test. But Tony got a 50 and took six for in that game. First time since Albert Trott in 1908 or something like that. It was amazing. But fast forward to the last day. We're going to win the game and or draw the game. And it means that Alan's going to have his first series win as a cap. If New Zealand win, then it's a drawn series, one all. And they retain the Trans-Tasman Cup and they take it back to New Zealand. So the second new ball arrives on the last day. I mean, this has been a real tooth and nail fight, a real hard, tough test fight as a test trigger. But we're getting down to this is, you know, the last hour of the game, the last session. And they took the second new ball and they got a couple of wickets, Danny Morrison. I think maybe John Bracewell might have got Greg Dyer with the keeper out bowling off. But they take the second new ball. And Richard was at his peak then. I mean, he was the best fast bowler, if not one of the best, if not the best in the world. And the wickets kept falling. And I'm thinking, there's no way I'm going to have to bat. So I'm packed. And I'm actually in the trackie. And we're leaving the ground pretty early that night to fly to Perth to start a one-day series there in a couple of days' time. Another wicket, another wicket, get the whites on, start putting the thigh guard. The next minute, I'm, man, I'm out there. 
<laughs> and Hadley's, Hadley's just taken his second five for in the match. Um, they're on fire. And we've got 30 deliveries, five overs to, to block out. And I'm with Craig McDermott. And when I, I remember this clearly. When, we, when I walked out there, and my batting average at the time was like 3.7. You know, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna stir the heart cockles too much, is it? So Billy McDermott's hit me. He's going, we can get. We needed thirty three runs or block out five overs. We can get the runs. He's hit me in the chest. I went, no, we can't. You'll be getting them if we're getting the runs. Because we're talking about Danny Morrison, and Danny was a young fast bowler who had already staked some claim for New Zealand and was quick. And the great, he wasn't Sir Richard Hadley then, but he was always going to be. And he was just doing it. So I get, mate, just hang it anyway. We get, uh, and the story starts really in the second last over. I'm standing at the non strikers end. Danny runs in and he hits Craig McDermott, LBW shout. And I'm just out of the crease and I'm looking and I think, that's pretty close. So I turn around to walk back and New South Wales umpire, Dick French, is the officiating umpire at my end. And I'm walking back to get in the crease and Dick's standing there and his eyes flashed over to me and he looked at me and he went, not out. Because <laughs> 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 it was pretty close, boys, let me tell you. It's further thought after the game, they asked me how close I, it was. I said, if it was going under, it might have missed. <laughs> But I've asked Dick French about it since that day, many years later. And he's always said, Wit, in my opinion, it was not out. I go, Dickie, that's my man, Dick, yeah. <laughs> so it gets to the last over and I've got to face Hadley for the last over. He'd bowled 35 overs in that second innings at that stage. The bloke was just a machine. I think I played and missed one, blocked one or two and let a couple go. And we, we drew the test match. Um, the celebrations that night, we drank the plane dry on the way to Perth. I remember the purser walking up to uh, Alan Border about an hour out of Perth saying, no more booze. And Alan went, what, there's no one's playing up on that? He said, no, there's no more booze. <laughs> In celebration of AB winning his first series, that was a series win for Australia. Uh, just to do that was amazing. And... Of course, when we got to Perth, with the time, we, we sort of gained a couple of hours. So we got changed and went out and kept celebrating. It was fantastic. We got there at about 10 o'clock at night where it was 1 a.m. in the morning over in the east and uh, just got changed and went out. But, yeah, that was a big day. And, look, I've done a lot of speaking gigs with Richard over the years and, of course, we get asked that and they go, and what about you, Mike, in, in, in the context of you? I go, one of the greatest moments in my cricket career with the bat, didn't have too many of that. And then they ask Richard and he goes, the most disappointing moment in my whole test career. So the first time he said it, after the gig, I said, are you serious about that? He goes, yeah. I said, oh, mate, I'm really sorry to give you the most disappointing. He said, widow. He said, widow. I was New Zealand's opening bowler with the second new ball and I just backed myself to get you or Craig McDermott out and I couldn't do it. So it was a very disappointing. We would have drawn the series, hold on to the 
that was, but every congratulations to you, mate. The better part of the story is this, and it's been a long story already, but walking off the ground, the wicketkeeper handed me the ball. Now, he'd taken five with that ball, and if you take a five for your... You, you hang on to that ball. I mean, I took a couple of seven fers and I've got those balls. And, and Ian Smith gave me that ball. He said, you did a great thing for Australia. Years, 25 years go by. And I'm doing a gig with Richard and he said, have you still got that ball? I went, yeah. He said, it's the only ball. He took 36 five fers and it's the only, he's got 35. <laughs> I had the other one. So in 2015, Australia was playing New Zealand in the World Cup one day final down in Melbourne. And a few people knew about this and they knew he was going to be there. And they snuck me down to Melbourne uh, to a black tie function there. And uh, they called me up on stage unannounced. And I got him up on stage and briefly told this story a bit shorter and gave him the ball and said, here it is, mate. I've had it for 27 years and I want to give it to you on permanent loan. It's still my ball, but you can have it on permanent loan. He put it in his fingers on stage and then a tear rolled down the side of his face. And what a moment that was. Wow. What a moment. And he's constantly, every time I've seen him after that, goes, mate, thank you so much. Because he's got 36 five-wicket balls now and it was the only one that was missing and it was in my collection at my place. So, you know, for a cricket ball, I got letters and emails from politicians in New Zealand saying what an unbelievable thing that was for trans-Tasman sport and unity, a bloody cricket ball. Yeah. How insane. But this is what we love about sport, isn't it? It transcends, you know, the, the, the other things that we have dramas with in the world. And, and you know, if, if we can make people happy and, and do what we've got to do by performing what we can on the field, I mean, it's just a... How cool is it to be a part of that? And that's just was just a wonderful story. Oh, that yeah. is an amazing story. Thank <laughs> you for. Guys. Sorry, Jess. Did they keep the underarm ball with? <laughs> oh, it, it's probably yeah. I'm not sure, Relay, but every time the um, under you don't mention the under 1981. Seriously, do not mention that amongst the Kiwi cricketers, mate. They just you see them just 1981. It's bloody 40 years ago. And they have not forgotten that moment. No, no, no. Wow. That's, that's probably somewhere. I don't know where it is. What a famous piece of memorabilia that is. Oh, yeah. Imagine that one. Um, we'll move Chapel on. <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on to the next uh, item that I found on YouTube during the week doing my research. And obviously your personality as a, as a sportsman was coming out and there was a fair following for you. And then we had this advertisement pop up on our TV screens. How do you feel when a nasty ball sees a ninth wicket fall and there's a groan from the hill? How do you feel? Three runs to go and they move in close for the final kill. How do you feel when you face Big Joel for the final ball and your blood chills? How do you feel when a cover drive sees a run inside if you run like hell? How do you feel when you beat the ball stretched out on the field? How do you feel? How do you feel? I feel like Young Henry's. <laughs> Young Henry's. 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 Young
fantastic. One of the great memories from from TV back in the day, and it must have been great to to get that recognition. I guess a little bit outside of sport and moving into that TV sphere. It was really strange, Jez, because New South Wales was sponsored by Tui's, and in the back end of the seventies, uh, an agency called Mojo had had taken on or Tui's had got involved with them. And they started making these ads. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that Mojo did, man, it's ingrained into our psyche. They were so clever with their little jingles and super, super clever. So after I'd been selected out of obscurity in England and Dirk Wellen made his debut on that in that test series as well, and we were sort of the two young New South Wales players and Dirk was tipped to be captain. So when we got back, Mojo went to Tui's and said, we've got these couple of young blokes that have made their debut in England. How about we do a, an ad with them? For some reason, Dirk didn't do the ad. I don't know why, but Steve Rickson, our wicketkeeper, was working for Tui's as a salesman. So it was me and Stumper Rickson. Next minute I'm out there, you know, drive Joel Garner for three through the covers with a batting average of 3.7. I'm going, <laughs> you sure I'm the guy you want? <laughs> So this is a really long story, but the start of it was we played South Australia and Adelaide. The West Indies are on tour. They're playing South Australia after us. We all get together at a football park at Adelaide, which is an AFL ground. There's no wicket there. They go, what's he going to bowl on? So they tried to flatten out the middle of the ground with a roller. And I can't remember the batsman who sort of got out for me to come in, but he got hit about 27 times off the dodgy wicket. They ended up bringing out a steel plate about this thick, you know, like three metres by three metres and said to Joel, bowl on that. So, of course, it was then, you know, jumping through and after about two hours, he walked up to us and he said, my arm is hanging down. I bowl for three hours straight. I ain't not bowling anymore. My arm is elongated. <laughs> so, Hey, you're not going to argue him with Joel. Joel, like six foot ten, he's a big boy. So he said, I'm going to stand behind Withers and I'm going to yell out, one, two, three, and on on the three, you play the shot and I'm going to throw it out there. So he basically set the shot up, take a shot of me, bowl, and he says, and then... I'm going to stand at this angle, get the angles of the shot out there, and all the West Indies are laughing. And that's eventually what happened. So after all of these years, I've got to admit, I didn't even drive in. <laughs> the magic of television. The magic of TV. But, of course, what happened was those ads were so big, it really changed my life. And, I mean, I remember a number of times being out at Randy Wicks, for example, or down the Searles Club, and not local people, but other dudes would go, oh, man, there's the actor. You're the actor on that beer ad thing. And I'd go, oh, I played a couple of games of cricket. <laughs> it, it was crazy. And for years, and even now, it's 40 years later, 1981 we made that, every now and again, someone will touch me and they'll go, how do you feel? <laughs> <laughs> I heard a great story about Joel Garner once going back to uh, Shannon's crude comment earlier on and apparently he was out in a nightclub and uh, he had the attention of all the ladies and 
six foot ten man in in there. He's got a bit of attention, and one of the ladies comes up to him and she says, "So uh, Joel is." Everything in proportion, six foot ten. He goes, sweetheart. If everything was in proportion, I'd be eight foot eight. ten. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, the 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 only story I can tell you is this one. Because you hear all these rumours, you know, you know, Joel, yeah, you know, all right, yeah. okay. I played in a testimonial game for Ian Botham down in Somerset. And Viv and Ian and Joel were all playing for Somerset at the time. So Viv and Joel got a West Indian 11 together and Beefy sort of got a World 11 together. So I was in Beefy's World 11. So it was a 40-over game. Beefy's side's going to win because it's his testimonial. We won off the second last ball, whatever. Pints in the dressing room and all that. And after about three or four pints, I think, I'll go and have a shower. And get changed. We're going to move into the clubhouse and then there's a big gig on for Ian. So I've got the towel on, I walk into the shower, and I walk into the shower, and there they are, the West Indians. And Joel, Joel's about there. I remember going. And then I got the Joel. <laughs> and then I tightened the towel up and went, no. Nah. I'm going back to the dressing room. I'm not going in there. Uh... So I go back into the dressing room and Ian Botham goes, thought you're having a shower. I went, no, mate. He said, oh, the West Indians are in there. I said, yes, the black anaconda hanging out of Joel's stomach really worried me, I'm telling you. So after after that, I knew it was true. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, very good. Now let's move on to the last... uh section of this first part of chatting with Mike Whitney. Um, your TV career, it's three decades, I think, been in TV now. Sydney Weekender, Gladiators. I used to love Gladiators with Mark McGaw just killing people off the top of that Hammer. pyramid. Yeah, Hammer, Hammer coming off the top of the pyramid and <laughs> drilling them. Who dares wins? You're involved in the, the 2000 Olympic Games. It's been a fantastic career after your sporting career. It has been amazing, and and look, I was I was given an opportunity. Most of the guys that that had some sort of profile from playing cricket when they retired went to Channel Nine. And I'll tell you this story: I got offered a job at Channel Nine. I remember them sending me a fax at the time saying, "What games would you be available for next summer to do some commentary?" And I just ticked them off. All of them. There you go. Sent the fax back. Never heard back from those guys for months and months and months. And I got an opportunity to do some stuff on the ABC. So this guy had come up with a show called Great Ideas, which was about Australian innovation and invention, the Victor Lawnmower, the old stuff we invented, and some new stuff as well. So I did a series of that. On the back of that, a bloke that I played first grade cricket against, Chris Chapman, was running Channel 7 at Epping. And he'd seen a few episodes of this, rang me up. And I said, well, I sort of got this thing in the pipeline with nine and I'm left them a few sort of messages, but they haven't got back. And that ABC thing was a one-off. He said, come out and see me. So they'd had they'd run uh, one series of Sydney Weekend, 13 episodes in 1994, just to put their toe in the water to see if that was the sort of show that they wanted to move in prior to the news on the weekends. And he said to me, if you start here on January the 1st, 1995, you can learn the ropes of being a host, a television host on this show, Sydney Weekend. So I went, okay. So this was a real departure of usually the sportsman retires, goes into the media and does sport. 
all of a sudden this sportsman's gone into the media and he's decided to do entertainment. And no one had done that prior to me, really. People had just dipped their toe in and then gone back to their sport because it's entertainment's a difficult thing. It's a whole new world. So I learned the ropes on Sydney Weekend and very quickly uh, Gladiators and Who Dares Wins came along. And if I thought I had a fairly big profile from playing cricket, you know, and not everybody watches cricket. So there's, there's only, a, you know, a certain part, and unless you're Alan Border, you know, everybody knows AB or, you know, Shane Warne. But if I wasn't as big as that and there was just, and then who dares and gladiators came along. Oh, man, that was such a bizarre period of my life. I just could not go anywhere, any place in Australia without someone going. It went from how do you feel to are you going to dare me? <laughs> Oh, gladiators, are you ready? (laughs) That's one of my favourite stories because John Alexander was the original referee and the first series was ginormous. The ratings were ginormous. They can sell advertising for outrageous amounts of money and make a lot of money. Just as they decided to make the second series of, of Glads, Wimbledon's on and he was our head broadcaster for Channel 7 at Wimbledon. We had the tennis. So he's got to go and they ring me up and they go, look, we know you're doing a bit with Who Dares Wins and Sydney Weekender, but we need someone to go up and do the second series of Gladiators. And I'd watched it on TV. It was huge, you know. And they said, and you know, we'll pay you some more money. Oh, then your ear goes up. <laughs> we'll add to the contract and all of this sort of stuff. And is there anything that you'd like to do or change? And I went, yeah. I said, John goes like this. Gladiator, ready! Challenger, ready! They went, yeah. I said, well, I'd like to change that. They said, to what? I said, I'd like to change it to, Gladiator, are you ready? Well, they looked at me. They went, fair dinkum, that's all you want to change? I went, yeah. They said, okay. I said, all right, give me the pen. Sign the contract and that was the only change I made. That was huge as well. Gladiators was just ginormous. So... Yeah, they were the first sort of five years of the TV career, very, very busy. Uh, And then those sort of shows dropped off. New things came along. I did the um, Sydney uh, Sydney Olympic Games in 2000 because seven were the broadcasters. I mean, what an experience. Mm. And because of the things I'd spoken about with little athletics and all that, there were a lot of people I was running down at Hensley with that had aspirations to go to the Olympics. None of them made that Olympic Games because we're too old. I mean, but... I still had that little athletic thing sort of glowing in there. And mm. to be at the Olympics, I remember they gave me my pass on the first day and I looked at it and it said, access all areas. So I asked the boss in the media room, what is, is that all areas? You went anywhere, any, any Olympic venue, the shooting, the rowing, the, anywhere, in the Olympic stadium, anywhere, you're on. And that little diamond down there means you can get out on the trap. I went, what? Oh, fantastic. So I saw things, you know, that I was there at the opening closing ceremony. I saw Kathy win the 400. I mean, just the memories from that night. And on the back of that, I got the opportunity to go to Manchester where I made my test debut in 2002 and work on the Commonwealth Games there. And, of course, I've just had a truckload of friends in Lancashire from I played with three different clubs in Lancashire. So I got a chance to catch up with all my old cricket friends over there. So, yeah, look, Channel 7 has been 
really, really, really very good to me. And there's another little play in that, you know, when we're out of the competition, Andrew Denton, myself and Nick Pappas went to see Mr. Stokes and we asked him for five million bucks mm. to support the club and whatever. I'll never forget that. He was smoking that night. He drew in on this diary and I think he might have had a scotch and very expensive scotch and all. Anyone, I think we can help you. I think we can help you. And without that moment, we don't move forward in any of those court cases to the end where we won. So yeah. Channel 7 and Kerry's played a, an interesting part in my life and a really interesting part in the survival of the rabbit hoses too. Well, that's a, a perfect segue into our our next part. We're going to have a, a short break and uh, then we'll come back and talk about your connection with the Rabbitohs from those days and ongoing. But an amazing podcast so far, gentlemen. <laughs> amazing. <Yeah. laughs> well, I loved hearing hearing that uh, commentary when uh, Witch has to come in and, and, and save the test, you know, for the draw and the commentator says, good luck, Witch. Yeah. <laughs> that was... That was- that was Ian Chapel, and mate, he, he. I talked to him about it later, years later. Go, oh, yeah, you know, the good luck he when I met it. <laughs> well, funny I wasn't bullshitting you. Yeah. <laughs> the funny thing about that, uh, Mike, was when we used to play with Ello, it, it sounded we used to say something similar, but it wasn't good luck wit. It was something wit. All right, let's get away to our first break and we'll come back with that that second part all about Mike Whitney and the Rabbitohs. Now, the official Rabbitohs merchandise store, it's closed at the moment, the physical store, but you can shop online 24 hours a day, 365 days a year at shop.rabbitohs.com.au and you can get absolutely anything you need in the red and green from the Rabbitohs merchandise store. And as we heard from Wit earlier on, Shannon, there's merchandise no longer than an arm's length away from him at, at all times and he's missing something in his bathroom at the moment. So you might have to send him a little a little gift for his bathroom. <laughs> Beautiful. We'll definitely give something to Wits for his great contribution today. And um, what, one of the things I saw down at uh, down at the beaches over the weekend was a lot of the finals tees, actually. So we've got a lot of finals tees, everybody out representing and showing their support for the Rabbitohs during the finals. So they jump online and get those. They're, they're still available. And also the um, the last chance range. So the, the end of our 2021 range, uh, selling out lots of SKUs. So there's a last chance sale on too. If you jump on to um, shop.rabbitohs, you'll see uh, the, the end of the 2021 range. Uh, get it before it, before it goes. Beautiful. And Ello's still looking forward to the Stormtex. The Stormtex. I, I, I wouldn't mind those uh, headphones you promised me six weeks ago either, Jess. <laughs> the only one I can understand Witt hasn't got them there because he's not on every week. But... <laughs> I understand which got his own, but I mean, you know, I mean, I'm a long way home. I'm doing a tough up here living on my own, and you still stitch me up. Sorry, Ello. Do they sell Rabbitohs headphones, Shannon? <laughs> uh, we don't sell Rabbitohs headphones, but I wish we sold Rabbitohs muzzles. I'll tell you what, I don't. You'd have one up there in about two minutes, Ello. <laughs> Well, you never know. Shop.rabbitos.com.au for that 24-7 access to Rabbitohs merchandise.
Now, a fantastic segue before we got into that that uh, merchandise read there. You were telling us, Wit, about the role of, of Channel 7 in your career and in, in the Rabbitohs' career, and you were part of that amazing Group 14 movement and the Rabbitohs' board and, and seeking that support from Kerry Stokes a little bit over two decades ago now when a decision was made to exclude the Rabbitohs from the competition. And at the moment, we're actually retelling that story in our Tales of Reinstatement documentary series, which you took part in with uh, young Maddie Lucas putting together that 15-episode documentary. And it's fantastic to watch. I encourage everyone to jump onto rabbitohs.com.au and watch it. But what are your key memories from that time being part of Group 14, getting on the Rabbitohs board and seeking that support from Mr Stokes? How tough it was. How how we just had our backs up against the wall and, you know, we, we were taking on two enormous entities, Channel 9 and News Limited, and we were the Rabbitohs. I, I think what we always realised, but was that, you know, people power was going to be really, really strong. And it look, because it's been two decades, there's been a lot, lot, lot more talk about it. And of course, being involved, you know, with the stuff with Matt and, you know, it's out now and it's going to be fascinating what people's memories are and, and what it talks. But I've got to tell you, those three years that I spent were three of the toughest years professionally of my life. We just felt like there was so many road barriers that get getting put up in front of the club and, you know, I think there was some sneaky business going on in the background trying to nail the Rabbitohs. And I actually said, you know, South took a really big stand against Super League with other clubs and, and people like George and that were very vocal about what that was going to do to Rugby League if it went ahead. And I think the people over here with Super League, which was News Limited, they weren't very happy about that and they weren't, they, they didn't like people like George, you know, stepping up to the plate and being vocal about what they thought. So I think, you know, us getting kicked out was sort of punishment for that. And, you know, we, you know, we, our house could have been in order a little bit. We hadn't been competitive for a long time. 89 uh, probably was the last LA you played then. I mean, we won the... Yeah. You know, um, going long time in. ago. Yeah, a long time ago. So... But it was really, really hard. I lost a lot of night night's sleep during that time. Um, but we fought. And, and look, the thing that, that really, it didn't turn me, but when we had those rallies, I mean, you know, the press, the first one, the press said, oh, there was 20,000 there. I mean, I spoke to a police sergeant who was in charge of doing all that with the, these droppers. Man, he said there was 45,000 the first one. And the second one, I think they said there might have been 40,000. It was like 80,000 people there and they weren't all Rabbitohs people either. They were there. There were flags from all different clubs and sports. So it made everybody realise that and it's not just about the Rabbitohs. It's about protecting sport for the public and having it for us and not letting, you know, super big business take it over and, and try and dictate and dominate what you wanted to do. And it's got to go down in the world as one of the great victories by a sporting club against the big end of town and what people power can do and what happens when you really love an entity and you're not willing to let it go. And no matter what you think of people who were running the club at the time or George, mate, George, mate, he grabbed the bone and he just was not going to let it go, George. You know, and you've got to admire the people that 
were there before I came and hung on, hung on and just kept punching and got knocked mm. down and got up again. I mean, we went through three court cases. Mm. I mean, it was so brutal and the things that were exposed or what they were trying to expose to belittle the club and belittle people and what you said was just a lie. No, it wasn't. I mean, I, I, I had to get up in the stand one day for a couple of hours. It was pretty heavy. You've got some heavy hitting QCs and SCs on the opposition really trying to mess your brain around and then they hit you with that question and you better hope you're not confused because if you say the wrong thing, that gives them another little opportunity to go another way with the court case. So, look, the memories, it was really, really tough. A lot of people just held the line. I mean, everybody in South held the line. I think the way it went, we had to have a, a new, younger fighting board on for that. Um, and we did, and probably the way the club's gone after that. I was a fan of, you know, Russell and Peter Holmes at court being involved. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people have said, well, the proof will be in the pudding down the track. Well, you know, we've won a premiership. We've played in a couple of grand final deciders and went three, I think, in the last three years. And mm. now we're in another one. So if people are criticising the club and saying it's not in a better position now than before when we got punted out, I don't know what they're looking at because we've got great players, we've got great sponsorship, we've got great media, we've got great people involved with the club and, and the club's very strong and people want to come and play at the club, which is which is great because Ella will tell you, mate, there was times back then in the 80s and that people, it was hard to get players to come to the club mm. because they didn't want to come. The money wasn't there, the, the bones of the club. And the great thing about South is no matter what period of time we've gone through, it's always been the Rabbitohs and there's this underlying concrete there that will never go away. It's just, you know, how do you just keep that solid and a couple of times the lid may have been, oh, and then we've closed it again and that solid block of concrete will always be there. The first team, the most number of premierships, the greatest players and the, the depth and the longevity and the love and, you know, the people that love the club and, yeah, it was, was, you know, 20 years ago. Again, I've done a lot of reflection on that lately and, wow, it's just some really crazy times there. But in the end, it worked out and I'm, I'm very pleased that I had an opportunity to, to play a part and I think probably the biggest thing I did, which we mentioned before, was ask Kerry for five million bucks. <laughs> that must have taken some bravery within yourself going to the boss and saying, look, I'm one of your employees, but can I please have $5 million extra dollars to keep my football club alive? I remember clearly that during the second court case, the judge said that we had no sponsorship, no money. So he wanted to see $10 million in sponsorship on affidavit so that if he gave us the nod during the court case, we had $10 million in sponsorship to move into the next season. So we all went back after that day to the club and said, who are we going to go to? Where are we going to go? We haven't got a a team or any players or anything. We're going to ask people for money. And after about, I think we had 10 days to do that. After about a week, uh, we had like $5 million. So we're going to be short. And Andrew Denton rang me and said, we've got to ask Kerry Stokes. And Andrew had the Denton show on Channel 7 at the time. Mm. We've got to ask Kerry Stokes. I went, man, come on. He's from Western Australia. Like, I don't know, we know rugby league, but he's an Aussie rules man. Anyway, and he went, Andrew went like this, and he went, and you can ring him, bang, and hung the phone up. <laughs> so, 
I remember ringing Denton back. I went, but what are you talking about? He said, you, you, you can ring him. You know him better than I do. And he hung the phone up again. Now, to ring these people is like trying to get on to the Prime Minister of Australia immediately. So I had his secretary's phone number and I called it and she answered the phone. And I said, look, is there any chance I can just have a word with, with Mr Stokes? And she said, well, we're actually in Sydney today, Michael, and I know he hasn't got a lot on. I'll put you through. Wow. That's, a lottery, that's a lottery win there. G'day, Mike. Kerry Stokes. Um, <laughs> look, I've, mate, I'd really love to talk to you face to He said, I've got nothing on tonight. And I said, and Andrew and, and Nick Pappas from the South Sydney Rabbit. No dramas. I own number one Bly Street, I think, down at the Rocks. He owned the building. <laughs> he said, I'll be up in the penthouse. Come down. You come at six. Tell them to come at seven. That's another lotto win there immediately. So I've had two lotto wins within two minutes. So I go down there. He's in the penthouse. It looks over the Harbour Bridge and the Opera House, this amazing venue. And I talked to him as much as I could without trying to steal anything from Andrew when he'd come and nick. So when they turned up, we all sat down. Andrew talked about the history of the club. Mate, he was magnificent, mate, Andrew. Just the history and the, everything about the club. Nick said, this is where we are legally in, in the courts and this is why we're here. And then they looked at me and then I said, so we want to ask you for $5 million. <laughs> <laughs> and I told you, he just, I don't think he smokes anymore. He just drew in on this story and, and had a drink and went, yeah, I think we can help you out. Um, but he said, I'll have to work out where that money comes from and you probably don't know that I own this company, this company, this company, Caterpillar, Australia, so and so and so and so, this, this and this. And we went, oh. So he said to me, my barrister will be calling you tomorrow, Michael, to uh, talk about all this. And mate, within days, that deal had been signed. But the drama was when we went back to court, the opposition had found out that Kerry was involved and they wanted to get him in the stand to grill him over which company could afford to sponsor the club for $5 million. And if that had gone ahead, that would have exposed a lot of what Mr. Stokes had. And I don't think the other guys knew a lot. So I had to volunteer to go up and speak for him in court. And I remember that day so clearly I'd been briefed by his, his QC in Perth. And the argument to get me on the stand went on for an hour and finally they relented and said, oh, we don't want Mr. Whitney in the stand anyway. Well, do you reckon I didn't go? Because I would have been up there representing my boss and who knows what they were going to ask me. And I remember very clearly, I spoke to Kerry after that and, and said, look, I've been at the network like five or six years. I promise you I'll stay that long again to say thank you. Been there 28 now. Wow. <laughs> Just stayed on and on and on. But... Again, I go back without Kerry's intervention at that stage, that court, second court case would have just finished. We lost the second court case anyway, but it wouldn't have gone to its conclusion. He would have just thrown the case out because we didn't have the money. And we went back a few days later and said, there's the cash. Amazing. Which they were shocked that we raised 10 million bucks in 10 days. Shocked. They just thought there's no way they were going to do that, but just showed you how many people were willing 
put their hand in their pocket and support the club. You might have to take Shannon's job. He's uh, trying to sell sponsorship every day of the week and <laughs> you got it done in three days. <laughs> we'll move on to uh, our next point. Obviously, we're talking about how hard a time that was and, and the highest honour that the football club can bestow upon anyone for their services to the club is life membership and you received that in, in 2009. What was that moment like for you to be recognised by the club for all of your efforts? Cried, took my mum uh, to Redfin Town Hall that day to the annual general meeting. Uh, and look, if my father passed away when I was 16, I mean, he just would have freaked out, mate. And if he had an own, I'd, I'd been given life membership to the Rabbitohs. I found it very difficult to even make a speech that day. Um, but I wanted to remind everybody that one of the great influences in my sporting life was John Sattler. Um, he was captain of Rabideau, the Rabbitohs through that whole late 60s and early 70s and was just so tough and so hard and so amazing. And when I finally got to meet him, I was like in my early 30s and Souths had a, an award at the time that was the spirit of rugby league, they called it, and they gave this award to someone who played another sport but, but was full-on dedicated to the Rabbitohs. And I got this award at uh, the old Leeds Club at Redfern this particular night. And what I didn't know is that they'd asked Sats to give it to me. And that was the first time that I'd met him in the flesh. And, mate, I teared up that night. I mean, I just couldn't believe I was standing next to the great Johnny Sattler, this bloke that my father had just admired so much. And that just spilt down into me and... And he was such a tough, uncompromising. I mean, how do you run a lap with the JJ Gilton and Shell with a busted jaw? I mean, all of those stories about him. So huge, huge influence on me. And, you know, I wanted to tell people that even though I was a professional cricketer and I'd always been diehard for Souths and I wanted to play for Souths, and without Sats, and the way that he went about his sport, and I watched that so closely, and he was so strong and brave and tough. I, you know, that was definitely encouragement to me. But that was a big moment. My mum was with me that day, and I remember when we the meeting finished, and we got into the car, and you know, you, you get a little little emblem that says life membership and the number on the back, and and I looked at her, and she said, "Your father would have been very proud of you." Oh well, I just lost it again. The game update. Huge honour. I mean, look, you, to get life membership of any organisation is a massive, massive, massive honour. I'm very lucky to be a life member of Ramwick Petersham Cricket Club and Cricket New South Wales. But I want you to know, this one is the other two because that's my jazz and sport aren't more important than the Rabbitohs. Mm. They're all on full-on equal standing. To have life membership to any entity is just humbling. And to be from another sport and think that I got that from the Rabbitohs for what I did during the fight back and, and my support and anything I can do now, I mean, give me a call, man. I'm there for you. I'm good because I love it. So very humble, Jez, yeah. Excellent. Well, the next one I'm going to hand over to the esteemed Mark Ellison because five years later after that was, of course, 2014 and what a season it was. But Ello 
has uh, often told us a story about your involvement in the build-up that season. So I'll hand it over to Ello if he hasn't frozen up there on Zoom. Could be an unfortunate timing of a freeze for, for Ello on Zoom now. Freeze. Anyway, Ello, I, 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 might, I might kick it off until he gets back online. But uh, yeah, 2014, and we played our opponents this weekend, the Manly Warringah Seagulls at the SCG, which you described as your home ground earlier on. And I remember we were having a great season, but so were Manly and and a few other teams. But Manly are obviously one of our arch rivals and looks like we've got Ello back. Ello, I was just leading into into that 2014 game against Manly at the SCG. I'll hand it over to you. Yeah, it was was a a great night for the Rabbitohs that night, Jez. But what we've done, Madge and I used to get a few guest speakers in during the season. Um, just at certain stages, and we were about six weeks out from the, the semis. We're going along all right, but we just we just weren't hitting the the top echelons of all the areas we needed doing the game. And uh, Matt said, who, we, "Who could we get to talk to the players at the SCG?" And I thought about it for a while because we'd, we'd had Bobby McCarthy and Ronnie Coote speak to the players, Mike Cleary before, and then I remembered we had played cricket there, and I knew he's relationship with the Rabbitohs, and I knew. Oh, <laughs> he was just getting to the to the apex, and it looks like he's cut off. I'll pick it up again. Obviously, uh, as we said, you've got that relationship with the SCG and the club, and I remember Ello telling us that uh, he and Madge thought, what better person is there to come in and talk to the boys about the mystique around the SCG and what it means to you, but also to the Rabbitohs with the success that we'd had there for so many decades prior, as you mentioned earlier, being the match of the day. And they they got you into the dressing room and you told some stories to the boys. Can you take us through that moment? Yeah, look, I was, I'd, I'd actually run into Madge and Ello at the time was just living around the corner from me. So I was running into Mark a, a bit. And uh, I'd actually run into Madge at the Coogee Bakehouse, which is just up on the corner of Moberly Road and Malabar Road. And I go in there for my coffee and he was living local. So I told him, you know, he said, oh, apparently you love the game. Ah, the rabbits, you know. Everything. So fast forward to that moment and, um, yeah, Ello and Madge decided to give me a hoy and could I come into the dressing room and, and address the team? And I went, sure. Now, what people don't know is that, when the SCG was built, the home dressing room was anointed the home dressing room of the New South Wales cricket team. So that's our home dressing room. I mean, a lot of people don't actually know that, but the official team for the home dressing room is the New South Wales cricket team. And when you find that out, when you're playing there, you realise, oh, man, we're lending it out to Australia play there, the Rabbitohs, but we're actually lending our dressing room out to these other people and to have that dressing room as your home dressing room. And once you start to realise the history of that dressing room and not only the cricket, but the rugby league, the rugby union, the AFL, there's been athletics, there's been tennis, there's been baseball, there's been a myriad of sports since 1878, I think something like that, when the SCG was built, that have been played there. And the bums that have sat in that dressing room Mm. is just amazing and the stories out of that dressing room so I wanted to tell the boys about the importance of, of being in that dressing room and, and Souths had used that dressing room during those you know matches of the day and the round uh, the great players that had been in there and of course I could talk about cricket and say well Bradman sat there and 
Shane sat there and I sat there and Mo sat there. And then stories of dressing room stories and showing the boys the imprints of the stud marks that are still on some of the seats. And, and this is what it was like when I was playing. And, and then, of course, one of the favourite stories that Sam Burgess, when I run into Sam, he still loves his story, that the great Keith Miller, the great Australian all-rounder who was captain of New South Wales, the cellar was right underneath the, the, the home dressing room. So if Keith wanted another uh, carton of long necks to be brought up into the dressing room, it was with his cricket bat on the floor, boom, boom, and the old Solomon down there would go, oh, that's Mr. Miller, a carton of long necks. But after a while, if it was three large bangs, that was the bottle of scotch. <laughs> <laughs> and they just party and the dressing room's changed a little bit now in there, but to be in there with the boys and, and to actually say to them, you are sitting in hallowed turf. This dressing room is hallowed around the world. I know people that I've played cricket around the world that would give both their arms just to sit in this dressing room. And then you're going out and you're playing on the SCG, which again is hallowed turf. Just to be able to walk onto that playing surface is special. Mm. It's a thrill. It's sacred. It's a sacred place to many, many people. And the boys won that match. <laughs> I went in to talk to them again a few games later. They won that match. And then Maginello started to get worried. And he goes, Jesus, do we bring him in again? Or is that the one he loses? Or whatever happened. And as the season played out, we won the competition. And how proud am I? And humble just to have a really tiny little bit of that season, you know. And, and the big thing for me was when we won it, we all ended up South Juniors. And Ello had actually got me a, a band to go in the back door. Mate, the tears that night, the people from Group 14, the old hardheads that were there all crying, all celebrating. Sam came up with his face like this, you know. Johnny Sutton was the one for me. He captained that night and he's a Maroubra boy like me. And Sutto saw me and he just ran across the room and went, Winner, we get it, we get it. We both start crying. I mean, it was just, and what it said to me, what it felt like to me that night is that everything we'd gone through, getting kicked out, struggling, asking people for support, were we in, were we out, what was going to, that night made it all worth it for me. If we had never won another game after that night ever, that night that we won that competition in 2014 made it all worth it for me. Well, we're less than two weeks away from hopefully doing it all again and it's starting, you can feel the uh, the excitement starting to build. I remember in that grand final week, there, there were, I remember the two of the visitors that came to Redfern over because Madge was locking everything down at at Redfern, making sure that no one could see in and all that sort of stuff outside of the the fan one. And I remember sitting with you in the grandstand at Redfern over while the boys were training, and just and there were a few of us around, and you were telling us all these stories about your uh, love of the Rabbitohs, and that that stuck with me for a long time as well. And then I remember the captain's run. I remember turning up, and Madge had put black black coverings all around the ground so that no one could see in and I was there with Mark Block Lions on the gate and we were letting the players drive in and out and I was keeping an eye out for media to make sure they weren't 
flying drones up or up in the balconies of the the apartments trying to get shots of shots of training and I remember walking downstairs when um, they were about to go out to train and going at walking to Madge's office and I walk in and he's Kathy Freeman yeah sitting yeah. in Madge's office and I'm just like yeah. wow <laughs> where could this week get any bigger you know and after the game I remember she was sitting with GI in his locker at, at Stadium Australia in our change room and she was sitting there with the trophy, and it still gives me chills now. I remember um, someone saying to her, how good was that, Kathy?" She goes, this is the greatest sporting event I've been to in this stadium. Wow. And she won a 400-metre gold medal with all that pressure <laughs> on her. She lit the flame at the yes. 2000 Olympics. But that win and sitting there with GI after the game was the greatest sporting event she'd been at in that stadium. It still gives me chills to have her <laughs> say something like I'm that. I'm tearing up thinking oh, about it. Oh, mate. And to think that it can happen again in two weeks' time, I'm just <laughs> – we can't get ahead of this week, obviously, but uh, you know, we've got to get the job know, done against me. After I spoke to the team in the dressing room that day, and, look, I got to spend 15 years in that dressing room. I mean, it's mm. just such an amazing place to have as your home dressing room. And, you know, when I finished speaking, G.I. got up and he walked – down the steps in the dressing room. I was down the bottom. The boys were sitting sort of up the back. And he had this jumper. And he said, uh, look, we, we really appreciate you coming in today and, and telling us these stories and all this. This is one of Sam's playing jumpers that we've had washed. So it's number 13. And the whole squad has signed it and we wanted to give it to you. They went on to win the competition. That jumper... I just looked at it this morning. It's in the other room. Mm. I thought, oh, yeah. Without doubt, I'm all my cricket memorabilia, I mean, my baggy green, that's a big deal. This has got to be one of the greatest pieces of sporting memorabilia. This is Sam Burgess' jersey that he played in during the 2014, and the whole squad is on that. Wow. I mean, man, it's, it's my, one of my prized possessions in my life, and I looked at it this morning. Oh, good on you. <laughs> yeah, there it is. I knew exactly where it was. <laughs> Very good. Well, we'll move, we'll move on to the modern day. You gave us a little rundown on how you think the boys are going so far this year. How do you think they're going to go over this week, first of all, and then hopefully on to the big dance the week after? Well, you know, look, having a couple of weeks off, I think, has been fantastic. In the old days, they used to say, oh, are you going to lose momentum and all that? With the super coach, mate, he's got, he, you know, look, the the Wayne Bennett, Ivan Cleary little banter coming into that game was just amazing. Even even after the game where Wayne just said, I didn't take it to the press. They did. I just went and asked the referees, can I have an understanding of this? So cool. Been there before. You don't coach 888 games without learning something. And I think the boys are just in fantastic form. And more than that, I think they believe in themselves that they can get it done. I saw that in the last game. I mean, you know, to beat Penrith, just, again, I go about our defensive shape in that game. I mean, they've got attacking options all over the field. In the forwards. I mean, you can't let Isaiah Yo. You can't give him a metre, mate. He's a rangy, stepping, offload, can make metres up the middle. And, and their back line, they've got, they've got attacking options all over the place. And we pretty much shut them down. Mm. I thought that was amazing. But again, our attack and our attack all year, the shape of our attack 
the timing of the passing, the angle that the boys are running onto the ball, the angle, the speed that they're running onto the ball, the Christmas of that passing. I mean, Cody Walker's a freak show. I mean, I mean, he's just, I mean, you hear it every week and the commentators talk about him. You know, and Reino, so sad we're losing him. He's in the best form of his life. You know, the way he's running and then he'll straighten, straighten the run just and, and draw to and then the passing out to that left and the right side, fantastic. I mean, look, we've dealt with everything. Losing Latrell was, everybody said we can't win it without Latrell and young Taff comes in and drops one ball. Everybody thinks it's going to be a nightmare. Well, no, nah, mate, he just settled himself. That take underneath the sticks above Crichton was a moment in the game for a young bloke, the pressure. And he got up above him and he's like half his size. Yeah. So, yeah, look, so exciting, so exciting for everything. And I just think the boys, we can definitely win it. I mean, our shape is great. We've got a couple of great sides. You know, we've got a beat. Manly's a good side. They've got attacking options all over. They're one of our arch enemies. They'll be up for the game. Don't worry about that. Mm. Let's hope they're sore from last weekend and carrying a few injuries. All of this plays into it. So this weekend's just going to be massive. But I think the boys can get it done and I think they can go on and win the competition. Yeah, Friday night, 7.50. It's going to be amazing TV for all of us down here in, in Sydney. And unfortunately, it looks like we've lost Dello on the, on the Zoom feed at the moment. But him and the boys, they'll be doing their utmost to get us the win on, uh, on Friday night and get us through to the big game. Nine days later up there at Suncorp Stadium. Mike Whitney, thank you so much for taking us through all of those stories. You're a you're not only a legend of Australian TV, Australian sport, but you're an absolute legend of the South Sydney Rabbitohs. And it's so great that you've been able to take the time out to uh, have a chat with our members and supporters here on the Top Four podcast today. There it is. Good on you, Jez. Glory, glory, mate. And the boys can get it done. See you, Shannon. All the best. And tell LA to pay his bloody internet. <laughs> we will. We oh, will. Dude, thank, thank you, Mike. You're so passionate. And you, you know, it just oozes out of you, the, your passion and love for the Rabbitohs. So I'm ready to step on the boots. I'm ready for Friday night. But thank you very much for your time today. Really appreciate it. My, my pleasure, boys. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you, mate. Thank you. We'll go to a short break and we'll be back to wrap things up at the end of the podcast. We've still got our trivia question to come and Shannon's joke of the week. What a chat that was, Shannon. What a what a legend of not only Australian sport TV, but of the Rabbitohs. Yeah, as I said, you know, the passion just oozes out of that guy. And, you know, Mike has done as much for this club as anybody, you know, getting us back into the competition and still always wanting to put his hand up. It just uh, epitomises the, the passion that our members and supporters have for our great club, Jez. Well, the great thing is, is we spoke a little bit earlier about Tales of Reinstatement, and that's now coming out weekly through our Rabbitohs digital channels. So make sure you jump on to rabbitohs.com.au to watch it there, and there's a whole heap of information on the Rabbitohs one-stop shop at rabbitohs.com.au. You can follow the club on Facebook at facebook.com slash South Sydney. The official Instagram and Twitter accounts using the handle at SSFC Rabbitohs. 
Rabbitohs. And there's also our YouTube channel. All you need to do is search for the South Sydney Rabbitohs on YouTube and you can find the official Rabbitohs YouTube channel on there. And there's a whole heap of videos on there. And don't forget to encourage all your friends and all of your family to subscribe to the Rabbitohs Podcast Network just by searching for it on your favourite podcast apps. And that is Rabbitohs Podcast Network that you're looking for there. And Tales of Reinstatement, we've seen the, the first episode. It was very emotional to watch that. And and we heard uh, uh, Wit talking earlier on about how uh, such an emotional period in his life. Yeah, it was emotional for anybody who loves the club. That that period, it was so traumatic and we're on death's door. And Tales of Reinstatement tells that story, that fight back so well. So it's a uh, fitting time as we come towards the the business end of the year and then at the off-season to be able to reminisce 20 years on the fight-back tales of reinstatement. Absolutely. Rabbitos.com.au for everything that you're looking for, Rabbitos. Now, our trivia question from last week. Now, Wayne Bennett, he's coached 888 games with NRL clubs, but throughout his entire elite-level career, he's coached 1,127 games. That's in the Brisbane Rugby League, the New South Wales Rugby League, the Australian Rugby League, the Super League, and also the NRL. And, of course, we can't forget his stints in rep footy. What is his winning percentage across those 1,127 games? Jeez, I haven't Googled this. I thought I'd have a genuine crack just knowing how successful Wayne has been and anything north of 50% is a fantastic result. But I, I'd say it'd be well beyond 50%. I'll, I'll go, is it as high as 57%? It's actually higher than that. It's really? Over 45 seasons, he has a winning percentage of 60.5%. Wow. So more, yeah, than, it, more than six out of 10 games he wins. Yep. It's <laughs> it is amazing. And there's some there are some coaches currently in the NRL with high winning percentages at the moment, but not with the longevity of forty five seasons. That is just a phenomenal coaching performance and a and a life dedicated to perfecting rugby league. They're amazing statistics. And you know, we just had Mike Whitney, that's a game built on statistics and um you know, I know Raylene, Ella was telling me Raylene was in there, him about, you know, he's a bit of, Ella loves his footy, but he's also obsessed with cricket and, um, you know, and statistics and all that kind of stuff. And she said, look, you know, you got to cut this out or I'm leaving. And he didn't respond. And she said, um, you know, what do you got to say about that, Mark? He said, what do you expect me to say? You've knocked me for a six. <laughs> 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 oh, very good. Well, well, we're leading up to Shannon's joke of the week. I hope you haven't gone off early. <laughs> no, I've got, I've got plenty. Actually, the, the one I was going to tell about Ello and his cricket, you know, it was fortunate we we sent him up before the boys as the advance party and he didn't have to quarantine up there. She let, At a stage of Palaszczuk, the Premier up there, she let him straight in without quarantine. I, I said, how would you get away with that? He said, she's seen me play cricket. She knows I can't catch anything. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, very good. Right, let me get in uh, next week's trivia question. So in which year did the Rabbit logo first appear on the Rabbitohs jersey? It hasn't been there since 1908. So we need to work out in in which year it first appeared on the famous Cardinal and Myrtle hoop jersey. So we'll give you that answer next week and you can do a little uh, little bit of research. I'll give you a hint, Shannon. The answer... 
can be found on rabbitos.com.au. Again, Jez, and or, you know, the friendly old Google always helps as well. But I pride myself on on having a crack and not, not, not cheating with the answers. Uh, unlike Yellow, I don't do it because I'm not prepared to do any preparation. I just think it's, oh, I want to showcase how much I love and know about this club, but we'll, we'll see how we go next but week. It's good to see you don't read page two of the run sheet each week <laughs> where the answer appears. But anyway, all good. We'll be back after this quick break. As we said earlier, if you're looking for your next epic holiday, maybe a long weekend away with your mates or you need to get to a game or just planning for when these lockdowns clear up in the next few months and it's time to what if it. What if has great deals on accommodation, flights, car hire and more. Plus, because they're the official travel partner of the South Sydney Rabbitohs, you can head to whatif.com slash rabbitohs and use that promo code RABBITOS15 to save 15% on select hotels. Now, conditions apply with that, but jump onto whatif.com slash RABBITOS. Check out all of the flight accommodation and car hire options on What If and use the promo code RABBITOS15 to save 15% on select hotels. And there seem to be a little bit more positive news from Gladys Berejiklian this week, and we're getting closer to those 70 and 80% vaccination rates. And What If will be ready and raring to go when we all want to get away for a weekend once it's all done and dusted. Indeed, they will. Jez offering that discount to all great Rabbitohs uh, members. So take advantage of the 15% off. I was speaking to Ella about, you know, where he where he might want to go when the uh, and using the What If travel discount. And he was telling me he actually loved Thailand and he'd used What If previously to travel to Thailand. And he said, oh, you know, it's, it's fitting with Mike Whitney on here today with the cricket theme. He said, I actually tried tried some cricket swallows over there. You know, they eat lots of different exotic foods over there. And he said, oh, I actually, last time I was over in Thailand, I actually tried cricket. And I said, oh, how, how was it? He said, oh, it was a bit bitter. And I said, I don't blame but I'd be a bit bitter too. Someone took a bite out of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's just warming up, ladies and gentlemen, after this quick break. It'll be Shannon's joke of the week. <laughs> Righto, here we go. Shannon's joke of the week time. Well, Jez, I thought I'd keep a it true in. story. Yeah, it is a true story, actually. <laughs> and it's fitting with our cricket theme today. You know, I was up at East Gardens over the weekend, and I witnessed this myself. A cricket walked into big giant cricket walked into uh, Rebel Sport there, and I could see the young bloke behind the counter. He was amazed that this cricket walks in. Cricket walks in and says, "Oh, I'm." here to buy some sporting equipment. The stunned shop attendant, he looks at him, he says, oh, right, what do you want? He said, oh, a bat. He said, oh, yeah, what type of bat? And the cricket says, a baseball bat. Shop attendant looks quizzed at the cricket and says, a baseball bat. He said, yeah. He said, okay. So the shop attendant points to him and just up the back there, you go left and you'll see the baseball bats. The shop attendant's still, you know, bemused by all of this, this big giant cricket. He walks in, he's, Picks up a baseball bat, picks up another one, weighs it, swings it around a bit, comes back up to the counter. And the uh, shop attendant, the cricket walks to the counter with the baseball bat. Shop attendant's still quizzed and he looks at him and he says, the shop attendant says to the cricket, you know, there's actually a sport named after you. John Cricket looks at him and says, what? There's a sport named Tyrone. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, 
Oh, that's good. That's good. Another uh, one I'm going to steal. Along with the uh, along with the Trent Robinson, Cameron Murray joke, and Billy Bloggs. Uh, very good. Uh, I thought I couldn't have cleaned you. Yeah, no, very good. You did well. All right, we'll wrap it up after this quick break. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. Hopefully you've hung in this long. Where <laughs> This is our longest uh, top four podcast that we've done, but we couldn't cut any of that, uh, any of that Mike Whitney story out. What a, what a legend and great to hear all of his stories and great of him to give us so much of his time. Um, you can contact us on rabbitos.com.au slash podcasts or contact us via Twitter using at SSFC Rabbitos. Please send us through your topic suggestions. We'd love to hear some more topic suggestions from our members that we can discuss on the top four podcasts. While you're there, give us a review and a five-star rating if you feel like we deserve it and hit that subscribe button on your podcast app so that you can be delivered the top four podcasts Podcast plus everything else that's on the Rabbitohs podcast network throughout the week. We've got our regular media conferences, which include Wayne Bennett's pre-game press conference. We've got the audio version of the Rabbitohs Insider, and we've got Rabbitohs Radio with Chaps, Mavo and Brownie. And this week or last week, they had a chat with um, young Blake Taff. Um, ahead of the preliminary final against Manly. And they also did their Remembering a Rabideau segment on Superman Dave Tyrrell. And that was a that was good to remember his efforts from 2014 because he's one of the unsung heroes from that season. He wasn't getting the headlines like Sam and G.I. and John Sutton and, and Adam Reynolds, but he certainly played his role. And it was great to, to hear them talk about him. And uh, thank you, Shannon, for, for joining us this morning. We thank Ello as well, but Ello hasn't been able to get back onto the Zoom call. So feel free to hammer him. He can't respond. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to finish with one more quick story. You know, I was just thinking how good Mike Whitney was when he was on here and speaking about Joel Garner and sort of reminded me about the story about, you know, the, you do your tribute, Jez. What do you got if you got a, a quicker ball in your right hand and a quicker ball in your left hand? Don't know. A really, really big cricket. (laughs) (laughs) We can all tell Shannon's headed to Google and typed in cricket jokes. Oh, very good. Righto. Well, as it is every week, the Rabbitohs Top 4 Podcast is powered by Audio-Technica, proudly presented by What If. We thank you for joining us again for the Top 4 Podcast this week, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Rabbitohs Top 4 Podcast, powered by Audio Technica and proudly presented by What If, official travel and pathways partner of the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Support the club and visit whatif.com forward slash Rabbitohs to book your next trip. Don't forget to use the code Rabbitohs15 to get 15% off select hotels. Conditions apply. What If, it's Aussie for travel. Please leave us a five-star rating and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Up the rabbit eyes.